Welcome to Housing Developments. I'm Jerry Howard. I'm Jim Tobin. How's everything looking? What is your prediction? You're, you're, oh. You made your career a prognosticator. Uh, I got to hear everything uh, that you have to say. Yeah, well, I, you know what? I, I, I learned my lesson uh, four years ago, so, uh, but, but not well enough. So I'm going to go on the limb here, and I'm going to predict that Nancy Pelosi is going to uh, be the Speaker of the House when, uh, when the House reconvenes on January 3rd. You know, I want to ask you about that, because I don't think there's any question that the Democrats keep the House. But if they lose an inordinate number of seats, is it possible that one of the uh, the, the squad uh, challenges her for speaker? I think I think, of course, it's possible if uh, if they do lose a lot of seats. But I just don't see that happening right now. I think that the seats they were worried about. Uh, in those those Republican districts, those so swing seats uh, that flipped last time, I don't know how many of them trend back to the Republicans this time around. Uh, I know in our, our our backyard south of us, Jerry, you've got the 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 the, uh, the Spamberger seat. That's the old Cantor seat uh, that was a couple of years ago. That's the suburban Richmond, Virginia seat. I'm just not sure that that one's going to switch switch over. Uh, you've got some seats in California. Uh, the state, they, remember the, the, uh, the Democrats took six, six of those suburban seats. I see them all trending back to Republicans this time around. So while I think it's, it's, it's plausible that they'll lose some, I think it's equally possible uh, that they actually net a, few, a couple extra seats this time around. There's not going to be this big resetting that you usually see in the, uh, in the next election. So um, yeah, I, I, and even still, it would take a big wipeout uh, for them to challenge her. Now, remember, what did the speaker tell her? But I'm just going to serve for for one more term. I, I'd be surprised if she relinquishes control that quickly, uh, given the fact that she uh, she may be looking at working with a, a Democratic president and a Democratic Senate. Oh, that's pretty interesting. Well, let's talk about the Senate. You uh, you're predicting that the Senate goes Democrat. No, I, I, I am not predicting that. I am, I am, I am predicting a, a coin flip at this point. I, I think there's just too much unknowns right now. It, there was a poll this morning that showed North Carolina is a dead heat between President Trump and, and Vice President Biden. And if that's the case, uh, the general consensus still seems to be that President Trump ekes out a win in North Carolina. And if he does, I think he brings across uh, current Senator Tom Tillis, uh, you know, I just don't know how many, you know, how many, um, you know, President Trump, Cal Cunningham voters there are out there. So that's one seat that people are really pointing to as the one that could control the United States Senate. Let, let's assume for a minute uh, that that the, the two seats that the, the GOP are, are are likely to lose, likely, and that's the the Arizona seat currently held by Martha McSally, and then the Colorado seat currently held by Cory Gardner. A lot of people think that those two are, are likely to flip. And then Susan Collins in Maine, we've talked about her race. She's probably in the in the third most vulnerable spot. And if that's the uh, if if that's the case, then that puts the Senate in the tie. Uh, and and hope and if the GOP picks up that Alabama seat, then that's then that's plus one for them, and they hold on to the majority. So I still think it's a it's 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 a coin flip. You've got Iowa going to depend on the president works there. Uh, if he if he comes if if he wins Iowa as many predict he will then he should help incumbent Senator Joni Ernst hold on to her seat, uh, but man it's it's going to come down to the wire. But Jim, you you don't think that the uh, the scandal that Cunningham has uh, gotten himself into has totally damaged him in North Carolina? 
It absolutely has damaged him. He, he was up about you know seven five to seven points before the scandal broke two weeks ago. Now, now he's up three to five points. So it's definitely eroded his lead to the tune of about 50%. But the real question is, is, is enough of it? I just saw a, a report that uh, Cal Cunningham, who is a, I think he's a, he's a reservist. So he, he definitely still holds rank in the military and having a, an affair with a, another officer, certainly a subordinate officer that goes against the, 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 the code of conduct. And he is, you know, quote unquote, Going to participate fully with the with the uh, with the military's investigation that that's going to hang around his neck, and I expect a lot of people in North Carolina, even though they've seen record turnout in uh, in early voting, the balance of those folks vote on election day in two weeks, and so there's still more time for the the scandal to ruminate and maybe move some more votes. But it definitely has hurt them, uh, but not 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 enough to flip the polls quite yet. And, and let me ask you about Michigan. Um, I keep seeing polls with incumbent uh, Senator uh, Senator Peters, who is uh, a, a good guy by all accounts, but a bit dry. Uh, and uh, and the the candidate opposing him, the Republican, uh, is a really accomplished uh, John James, very accomplished guy, a very charismatic guy. Uh, is there any chance for the Republicans to flip that seat? Yeah, there's always a chance that race is within a couple of points. uh, And that's going to be another one that that trends with with the president's fortunes. Uh, I I think John James, a a fantastic candidate, West Point grad, Iraq vet. um, He's a very successful, inherited a very successful supply chain company from his father who built it up from, uh, you know, a small mom and pop business to over a hundred million dollar corporation. Uh, and he's been a big part of that family legacy as well. African-American, great candidate, ran against Debbie Stabenow two years ago, lost to her. So he's got name ID uh, in the state, in, in statewide. Uh, and Gary Peters, like you said, kind of a quiet member, likes to try to do things bipart- in a bipartisan fashion, not a big bomb thrower. Uh, I, think he, I think that his, his own reputation and, and name ID in the state are lacking uh, compared to John James, again, if the president can plot another surprise victory in Michigan like he did four years ago, I think he really helps John James there too. But again, kind of a coin toss. And uh, in Montana, uh, one of our own home builders, Steve yep. Dane, whose uh, family has been involved in NHB for at least two generations that I know of. Yep. Uh, how's he pulling out there? That uh, he, he's in a uh, he, he's in a, in, a, in a in a tight race with current Governor Steve Bullock. He is, uh, that race is tied, I think, at right around 48, 48, uh, maybe at 47, 48, you know, but, but within the margin of error. I still think Montana's DNA is, is red. I still think Steve Daines pulls it out in the end. Uh, but uh, because certainly I don't see President, Vice President Biden winning Montana. Uh, but can President Trump really run up the numbers there and then help, help Steve Daines get across the goal line? Uh, we shall see. But again, that's neck and neck. I, I, I have I have great optimism for our good friend, Steve Danes. Uh, and, I, and a shout out to his, his dad, Claire Danes, who's a longtime senior senior life director and, and, and uh, of the association. And uh, he'd be a he'd be a tough one for our industry to lose. He's been a great friend of ours for six years. And, and then it's a couple of years uh, before that in the House. And let me ask you this, Jim, last one on the Senate, and then we'll go. I was reading recently, and and I think that the state is becoming more important in the overall election. But Martha McSally, who was appointed to fill uh, fill the seat uh, that was vacated with the death of uh, Senator McCain, 
is in a very tight reelection uh, with uh, with Mr. Kelly, who is the husband of a former Arizona congresswoman um, who was shot. Everybody will remember that incident. Um, Kelly had been polling well ahead, like almost double digits uh, all summer. And now that's gotten close. I've even seen some close, some polls where it's within the margin of error. Um, that's tightening up. At the same time, I've seen polls. President Trump was trailing out there by five, six, eight points uh, all summer. And now he's some, almost in a dead heat out there. Talk to me about Arizona and, and and its importance in this overall election. Yeah, uh, Martha McSally, uh, she, first female Air Force fighter pilot, longtime House member. Uh, she's got great credentials, but she has struggled against our astronaut Mark Kelly. And as you said, G- Gabby Giffords, his uh, his wife, uh, Congresswoman, who was tragically shot many years ago uh, by a by a by a crazy man. Um, so he, you're right. He's he's been way out in front. President Trump has been way behind. But now the DNA, I talked about that DNA uh, when I talked about Montana, the, the, the DNA of, of Arizona is, is starting to come back to trend as people start paying more closely attention to, uh, to the race. Uh, and, and now it's very tight. And President Trump has to win that race in, in Arizona. A lot of people aren't talking about Arizona. If, if President Trump needs, needs to put together his coalition of electoral votes to win again. We know that he needs to get to that 270 number. But to do that, he really needs to bring home the big states of Texas and Florida, Ohio. North Carolina is very important to that, and of course, Iowa. But the biggest prize of that is is this Arizona race with its 11 electoral votes. If he can hold Arizona and all of those other states that I mentioned, he then only needs to win one of the four great late states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. Only one of those, if you can hold Arizona. If he fails in Arizona, he's got to go out and replace those 11 electoral votes with two of the great lake states. And that may be just kind of a tall, may too much of a tall order for him. He's trailing in Michigan by a little bit. He's trailing, this is President Trump, trailing a little bit in Pennsylvania, trailing a little bit in Wisconsin. I think, I don't, I think Minnesota is probably a bridge too far. But so Arizona really is critical. If he can sweep that kind of southern tier of the U.S., then his pathway gets a whole lot easier. But again, we already talked about it, about North Carolina on the front end. Um, it's uh, Arizona is really important this time around. Uh, and, uh, and I think it's pretty interesting. And it's certainly to the Senate. Uh, hopefully, Martha McSally, she can uh, she can she can close. And if you're if you're a fan of Mitch McConnell, you're going to need her to try to try to work hard there and win that seat. Well, it's going to be an interesting night, but uh, listen, I know uh, from our many years of working together, I know your family. I know you come from a family of great social forecasters. I remember uh, your dad telling you as a boy that our country would never fall prey to the Beatles and that rock and roll music and that they would fail soon after their appearance on on Ed Sullivan. Uh, I remember you telling me that this uh, COVID was nothing more than another seasonal flu. Um, and you also forecast, I think, that there was no way Donald Trump could win. So given your family's history, I would like you to make your forecasts so that our listeners will be able to go to their local betting parlors and vote against everything you say. <laughs> no way. No way. <laughs> I am not making any predictions this time around. As disappointing as that may be for many people, 
I'll, uh, I'll let you know. I'll let you know on the 4th of November. <laughs> Hopefully we will know on the 4th of November. Yeah, that's another thing. That's another thing. We, we, we haven't talked about the, this mail-in voting. We've seen these record numbers of mail-in voting. No one knows exactly what it means. Yeah, sure, a lot of people are voting early. Democrats seem to have the lead, which, which tends to, to, to me to believe that the Republicans are going to wait to vote on Election Day. And if they come out in the big numbers to support the president and, and, and all the Republican candidates, then you're going to, you're, you're, it's, you know, the enthusiasm on the, on the right is, I think, just as, as strong as the enthusiasm on the left. Well, we'll uh, we'll see. For many of our listeners, uh, by the time you hear this, we will have finished our fall, fall leadership meetings. But uh, Jim and I are really closely following these elections and and watching the polls as they change every day. Hey, hey Jerry. But you know, one one question for you. One question for you. Obviously, uh, you, know, you and I spent a lot of time in the White House. We spent a lot of time on Capitol Hill together. Um, but and I and I know you've been asked this question many times, and and, and, and as you uh, as you continue the, the, your your monthly and weekly media tours, um, but but what's your gut tell you about uh, if 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 Vice President Biden wins, what what do you think it means for for housing and our members? What what do you think the the, the big ticket items, the big changes are that we're going to see for the next four years with a Biden Harris? Uh, you no, know, it's really interesting. The numbers came out very strong for single-family construction uh, and and pretty weak for multifamily. I think if you had a Biden presidency, uh, things would go in the opposite direction. And I think that because I believe that a President Biden would unwind a lot of the deregulation that President Trump has undertaken, and I think that uh, those regulations would increase the cost of production of single-family housing uh, significantly. We know how much the deregulation has brought them down, so re-regulating would would bring those costs up, and I think it would slow down single-family production. Conversely, uh, uh, Vice President Biden, uh, true to his party's approach to housing, uh, has talked about subsidizing very low-income housing, um, which could be a boon to our multifamily builders. So I think you would look for single-family housing to sharply decline, uh, and I think you look for multifamily housing to increase. Um, I do know that Vice President Biden uh, has been uh, bringing into his inner circle on housing former HUD Secretary Sean Donovan. And that fact, I think, only bolsters my position uh, because former Secretary Donovan was very, very strong in the multifamily sector. Coming from New York City, you would expect that. So that's what I think would happen if, if we switch administrations. If the administration stays the same, I think you're going to see more deregulation uh, at the federal level, as much as they can do. And I think you will see them start to use stimulus and other financial carrots to state and local governments to ease up on their regulatory burdens and make things cheaper for, for, for housing and make housing more affordable to everybody. So you'll see two different approaches, which uh, very, very clearly reflect the philosophies of the two parties. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm worried about the Green New Deal and that, and that will be squarely uh, focused on the built environment. I really am worried about uh, seeing you know, increased energy efficiency requirements on new homes. Uh, and, and, and I'm with you. I share your, your concern that I think single family is going to bear the brunt of that. 
No, well, we the industry and we we as professionals and the industry uh, as as the patriots that we know our our members and our listeners are will have a very exciting night on uh, November the third, and I encourage everyone. Uh, to take advantage of their patriotic right and their responsibility to get out and vote. Um, uh, Elections matter. Uh, And in many of those swing states where we have a lot of members, every single vote's going to matter. So uh, hopefully you'll all get out there uh, and we will uh, be recapping everything on November the 4th. You got it. So for now, um, Jim, I want to thank you for all your hard work on this election cycle. Before we sign off, real quick, how many candidates has NHB endorsed? Yeah, th- thanks for bringing it up, Jerry. Uh, we we have we have uh, endorsed over 130 candidates in over 30 states for uh, for re-election this year, both House and Senate races. And not only that, but we've we our members have handed out over 60 Defenders of Housing Award for those members who've gone above and beyond to help NHB achieve its policy goals. So we've, uh, we've got some, some, some great, great advocates for the housing industry on Capitol Hill. We want to make sure that they get reelected so that we can continue the good work of housing in the next Congress. Yeah, well, that, I, I think that's a, a really a strong program that we have in place, very reflective of our members' positions on these things, and uh, and and you and your team do a great job. I saw some pictures this weekend, uh, Eigen Graf giving one yeah. of the awards uh, to Steve Daines, who, as you noted, is in a tough re-election race out there in Montana. Um, as I've mentioned to other people, uh, Jim and I generally – to spend a good deal of time together on election night, uh, much to the chagrin of our wives. But uh, this time, I think we'll be watching, communicating virtually, uh, and maybe it'll be good for our uh, our alcohol consumption. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we will be on uh, on broadcast, uh, I think, on Wednesday, November the 4th, uh, to give you guys our recap on what goes on. So anyway, Jim, uh, thanks again. Uh, We hope everybody will continue to listen to housing developments and more importantly, please subscribe. Uh, We very much appreciate having a loyal cadre of listeners every weekend. Thank you all very much. Uh, For now, I say thank you and goodbye. I'm Jerry Howard. And I'm Jim Tobin. Thank you and goodbye. (laughs) 